Uh, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at this giant called rejection. Uh, and before we jump into our lesson, pray with me, please. Father, we're grateful uh, for this morning, uh, for this place and this space that is a place where we can turn our hearts to you. And I pray this morning as we turn our hearts to this passage that Jason read for us just a few minutes ago, that these powerful words of Paul would speak fresh and new things into our life. That they would remind us of fundamental and foundational truths about who we are and who you've created us to be. God, pour through me the gift of preaching this morning and pour through all of us the gift of open hearts that we would hear your voice and that by the power of your spirit we'd be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. In 2011, a guy by the name of Brian Ware went to celebrate his 40th birthday. And while he was there, he took his two sons with him, and they were handed a box of crayons and a placemat, as often is the case when you go in different restaurants to occupy their time. Well, at the end of their dinner, the waitress came by and took the crayons away and kind of walked off, and Brian followed up with her and asked about what happened to these crayons that, that the kids would draw and color with throughout the restaurant on a given evening. And she let him know that, that the crayons were simply thrown away, and then they would get brand new crayons for the next night and the next set of guests. And so Brian decided to do something that would restore the use of those crayons and restore the spirits of some hurting and sick kids. And so he asked that restaurant and some other restaurants in town to give him all of their used, torn up, and broken crayons and to save them for him. He would go and he would pick them up. He would take them to his backyard at his home. And in the garage, he would sort them by color, melt them down, and then recast them into new crayon molds. He packed them up in packs of eight, and then he would go to a local children's hospital, and he would hand out crayons to kids who were sick there. And that one little idea got bigger and bigger and formed into what is now known as the Crayon Initiative. And as of April of this past year, the Crayon Initiative has collected over 215,000 pounds of used crayons distributed over 226,000 boxes of new crayons to hospitals. And with eight crayons a box, that means that they have distributed about over 2 million crayons to kids in hospitals throughout the country. Hundreds of thousands of crayons, they would have been thrown away and tossed away forever, and yet they were restored to their original condition. Hundreds and thousands of crayons that were beat up and torn and broken and would have been disregarded by some. Except there was this one man who saw something different and decided that instead of rejecting and getting rid of these crayons, he was going to restore them back to what they were always created to be and to do. Um, if I were to, to retitle my sermon for this morning, I might call it the gospel in a crayon box. Because there's something about this story that points us to a deeper truth about our story and the story of God. Our story doesn't end with rejection, but our story ends by being refashioned 
by God's accepting grace. Our story doesn't end in rejection, but it ends with being restored for the purposes of God in our life. And that's a truth that we all need to hear on a regular basis because it's a truth that we can easily forget. Because this giant called rejection can pull us away from that truth in all different kinds of ways. All of us, at some point in our life, have experienced and come face to face with this giant called rejection. For some of us, it it may have been subtle rejection. It was the audition we didn't make, the job interview that didn't work out, sports team we got cut from, that one small comment that our friend made that never seems to leave us. And for some of us, it's more significant rejection. It's a spouse who leaves us and we had no clue that they weren't happy. It's the job firing that comes out of nowhere. It's the parent who abandons us and never makes effort to reconnect. Or it's the church leader who hurt us and made us feel rejected. And still, for some of us, the rejection is more self-inflicted rejection, that, that we have this inner critic that always seems to have a megaphone to our minds and our hearts, that, that we carry around this internal sense of guilt and shame because of what we've done and what we've left undone. All of us in some way, shape, or form, at some point in our life, have come face to face with this giant called rejection. And the reason why it's an important giant for us to talk about and and to face is, is because if we let it, this giant called rejection will motivate us and animate us and guide us in ways that we were never intended to be guided. Not to oversimplify, but I think there's these two main ways, these false ways that that this giant called rejection can shape our lives in ways that we were never intended to live. And the first is what I'm going to call the way of smallness. In other words, that, that we are so afraid of this giant called rejection that we become small in our lives. That we're motivated by insecurity and inferiority, that sense that we're not enough or that we're never going to be enough. And so we walk around just below the surface very aware of all our defects and what we perceive to be deficiencies. And so we live our life in a way where we hide. We get small so that we don't have to encounter that fear of rejection. Maybe somewhere along the way in our past, we experienced rejection because of a certain thing. And so we do whatever possible to hide that thing so we never experience the giant of rejection again. For, for others of us, this motivation, this guiding of the giant of rejection can go in a, in a different way. This way that I'm going to call the way of largeness. And by that mean, I mean that we get overly large with our life that we're primarily motivated by overachieving and perfectionism, constantly trying to prove that we're worthy to be accepted. Because somewhere along the way, we got this tape playing in our head 
that said if you don't achieve enough, if it's not perfect, if you don't accomplish this thing, then you will be rejected forever. So we constantly walk around trying to prove our worth, prove that we're worthy to be accepted by making it perfect, by achieving more, by never stopping, by overworking ourselves until we feel like it's enough. But it's never enough because it's never the path we were intended to walk. And while these two paths are very different in a lot of ways, I think they have a lot of similarities. I think that both of these paths leave these, these ripple effects around us that have a lot more in common than we may first realize. And I'm borrowing these three categories from John Orberg, but I find them helpful. I, I, I like to think about these ripple effects as comparison, of deception, and of resentment. That no matter if you walk the way of smallness or if you walk the way of largeness, that the ripple effect that both of these paths can take in our lives can cause us to become people who get trapped in comparison. Constantly in this if-then thinking, if I just had this, if I just went on this vacation, if I just got this thing, then I would be accepted. So we're constantly peering over the fence of other people's lives thinking, if I just got that, then I would be accepted. For some of us, it turns into deception. For those of us who take the way of smallness, we end up hiding who we are. We end up going small with our life. And so we walk around dishonest with everyone because we never let anyone know who we really are. Or for those who take that path of largeness, we over-exaggerate. We overperform. We add those extra details in our story. And before we know it, we're deceiving all of those around us because if we tell them the truth, so we think we will get rejected. And then maybe the most toxic of all, some of us end up walking that path of resentment. We are so tossed and turned by the giant of rejection, we take that out on everyone else. Because rejected people reject people. And so whether we're afraid that they're going to reject us or we feel like they're going to reject us, we then get very resentful of them. And all the while, we're still being pushed around by this giant of rejection, by this fear that we will be rejected. And the reason I want us to be honest about how the giant of rejection plays out is because it's with that in mind that we need to hear the radical claim and truth of the gospel that tells us a very different truth about our lives. That the gospel tells us that that giant of rejection has been defeated by our acceptance in Christ. That, that our story does not end with being rejected and tossed away forever. But it ends with God's accepting grace refashioning us into who we were always created to be. And I can think of no better passage than Ephesians chapter 2 to capture this truth about your life and my life. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is brutally honest about this path of rejection, this path of death and destruction that we all have walked down and some of us are walking down. It is a path headed nowhere fast. It operates according to different values that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus. 
But the thing I want us to notice about this passage is that the passage tilts in a different direction, in a new path, in a better, truer reality for our lives. In fact, in these ten verses, two-thirds of Paul's writing is spent not on what used to be true about us, but what is currently true about us. And for Paul, the change in our life hinges upon God's loving kindness and mercy and grace and acceptance. And the turning point in this passage and the the turning point in our life, I think, happens in verses 4 and 5. Where Paul says, because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. I love the way Eugene Peterson renders this. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. God embraced us. God welcomed us. God accepted us. When that giant of rejection had us up against the ropes, God's grace stepped in. God reached out and embraced us through a robe on our shoulder, put a ring on our finger, put sandals on our feet, and threw a party for us to welcome us home. That's the gospel truth about our life. And the phrase I want us to zoom in on for just a second this morning is this small word that Paul uses that carries such significance. Because there in verse 4, he he uses this phrase, made alive with Christ. Some translations put it, made alive together with Christ. And Paul only uses this word one other time in Colossians 2.13. But he's trying to communicate the same idea there that he's communicating here. It's this idea that we now have this new life pumping through our veins. We now have this new spirit, this new breath of God at work in our lives. Or to use an image that that would connect with this word that he uses, it's this idea of being reanimated. That we are now animated by this new life and this new truth and this new reality of God. To use a more modern day image, imagine a CPR moment where one person is giving CPR to another person. They are literally breathing life into them. And this word that Paul uses carries that idea that we have this life of God being breathed into us. That we don't breathe breath from that old world of old creation, but we are now infused with breath from new creation. Breath and spirit from above. That that we aren't finally impacted or tossed and turned by that giant of rejection, but we can now live according to the acceptance that we find in Christ. That we don't have to play those old games of comparison and resentment and deception, but we can now live who we were truly created to be in Christ. New creation prepared for these good works, this good way of life that we're called to live That gospel truth is the truest thing about our lives. It's the truest thing about your life. It's the truest thing about my life. That the giant of rejection has been defeated by our acceptance in Christ. 
And so now we're called to be men and women who, who live into that truth, who live into the truth that our story doesn't end in rejection. It ends with being restored and refashioned by the grace of God. A, a while back, Jessica and I were having a conversation. And, and it was one of those conversations that, that you start talking kind of about everyday things, and before you know it, you're in the deep end of the pool, and you're talking about serious things before you know it. Sometimes this happens with a spouse, sometimes this happens with a friend, sometimes this happens for a coworker. But but before we know it, the longer we talked, the deeper we got and the more honest we were with each other. And I began talking to her a little bit about these feelings of rejection that I was feeling in a certain area of my life. So I talked for a while and she listened for a while. And then after she listened for a while, she finally said to me, Wilson, None of that is true. That is a false story. I know the truth. Let me speak it to you. They don't know the truth about you. I know the truth. And then she began to speak these words of affirmation, these gospel truths into my life. And it was this beautiful moment of what I believe the church is called to be. This community who keeps drawing us back to these foundational truths about who we are and what God has done in our life. Because here's the deal. The giant of rejection still takes swings at us. The giant of rejection still tries to taunt and intimidate us. And so we desperately need each other to be the kinds of people who remind us of what is most true about us in Christ Jesus. That when we hear that loud voice of rejection, that the church would be the place where we hear the true voice of God, the true voice of Jesus, the true voice of the Spirit calling out to us. Because of his great love, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. That's the truth that we lean into. That's the truth that we listen to. That's the truth that we live out in our world. And that's the truth that we declare to each other. Because that is the most true thing about you, and that's the most true thing about me. Father Greg Boyle tells a story of early in his ministry career where he was sent to Bolivia to spend some time there as a missionary. And while he was there, he was still learning Spanish and he was still learning the customs of that particular village. And then one day he was faced with a challenge early in his time in Bolivia. Uh, he was asked to go up to the top of a mountain there to a small village to serve communion to that village. And it made him very nervous because he knew nothing about the village at the top of the mountain except that every day he would see men walk down the mountain with flowers packed on their back to go and sell those flowers in a marketplace. And so he jumped in the back of a pickup truck and he could feel his heart racing because he was nervous and he didn't know what was going to happen. And he went up to the top of the hill and there was this big soccer field where the community had gathered so that he could serve them communion. 
And they gathered together, and as he describes it, it was as bad as he thought it was going to be. Because he didn't know the customs of this town, and he hadn't really learned Spanish yet. And so he fumbled his way through this service, and then it was over as quickly as it started. And he said he stood there in this open field as as the town villagers walked away from him. And then he stood there by himself, alone and with no one around. And he said it was this metaphor of how he felt. Rejected, humiliated, defeated. And he threw his backpack on his shoulder and he was about to walk away and he was just going to walk back down the mountain all by himself because he was shattered. And on the other side of the soccer field, he saw an old man walking his way. And as the man got closer, he noticed his weathered skin. He noticed he had a suit on that was beat up. He had sneakers on his feet covered in mud. He had a rope wrapped around his waist as a belt. And the man walked up to him, and in Spanish, he said, Thanks for coming. And before Greg could say anything to him the man reached his hands down in his coat pockets and he pulled out fistfuls of flower petals and he asked for him to lean forward and as he leaned forward the man began to shower these flower petals of red and yellow and pink all over his head and before the father could say anything the man reached back down into his pocket and continued to shower flower petals over his head. And in the silence and stillness of this field, he describes the scene as him looking down with all of these flower petals around him, blurry because tears are pouring down his face. And he describes the scene as being surrounded by the smell of flower petals and grace. He never saw that man again. But he said he's never forgotten that moment. Because it was in that moment he got a glimpse of who God is. And he got a glimpse of how God treats us. Because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love.